0: This is Out to Lunch, the spiffing podcast in which I take a thoroughly interesting person out to eat to a terrific restaurant. We put up the microphones, we order a load of food, we get a few drinks in and we talk and we record the whole lot. And what's brilliant about this format is that people talk over a dining table, give them a plate of good food and suddenly they open up. Today I'm dining with the Turner Prize winning artist, renowned for his pottery, the famous transvestite, the brilliant broadcaster... Grayson Perry.
1: I, I've got my reply. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So for this episode of Out to Lunch my guest is Grayson Perry and when it came to setting up a date he was very clear on one thing which was he needed to be within quick walking distance of his studio because he's working on a new collection. His studio is in uh, the back streets of Islington and so is the Draper's Arms, a great gastropub which I'm standing in front of. It is a classic of its kind and I know that Grayson likes it because he's eaten here before so let's get inside. Welcome to Out to Lunch, Grayson. Thank you. You are wearing... Describe it. Uh,
1: it's a quilted PVC kind of snowsuit, I suppose. I sort—I of, was always jealous of those kids when you see them on the ski sledge and those lovely kind of... They're kind of... Usually they're one piece, but they're, they're usually quite sort of bright and cartooning. and you can't get the adult equivalent. This was one I designed myself. The fabric, I designed the fabric and had it made into PVC
0: and... There are teddy bears, there's dolls, uh, it's. Flowers, yeah, it's flowers. Really,
1: sort of overscale children's fabric, really.
0: Are the boots integral to the. No, outfit? they're
1: separate, so you could wear it with a different outfit. Perfectly practical, especially when dining, because it's white. It's white, white clean.
0: clean, yeah. And this is Guyder who will be serving us today. Hello. Hello, Hello Guyder. Bread, butter. I'll have a a pint of lager as well,
1: please. So, Freedom Four, which is a
0: normal 4% lager. Oh, yeah, I'll have that one, yeah. The lowest percentage, yeah, it's lunchtime. And I'll have a glass of something, uh, of some wine, because I'm that kind of... uh, I'll have a glass of the Viognier. Sure. Um, And so we're in a pub. And taste and class is such a big thing with you. Yes. What kind of environment are we in? Because you knew oh, this, this. is
1: classic gastro pub, Islington, you know, absolutely, you know, it has quite high end food in many ways, I think. I mean, I don't know about you, but it's, not, it, it, you know, for, it's a good gastro pub, I'd call this.
0: I kind of was wondering whether you think pubs and what's happened to them and the separation of them out, the polarisation, sums up a lot of what's happened to taste in Britain.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm fascinated by that divide. Which, in many ways, you're right, is characterised by what's happened to pubs. You know, you have your traditional boozer, and then you have the gastro pub, and it's, it's a really interesting talk because it encapsulates many of the social kind of norms of the two groups. In that, you might see the traditional boozer as a social hub mm. and a place of sort of escape, and then, but the gastro pub is much more kind of. It's, it's cooler, you know. It's like you're, you're not necessarily there to meet the other people
0: in the pub. You're not there to mingle, are you?
1: No, you're not there to mingle. It's, that kind of formality is more middle class, of course, you know.
0: Right. I got married in a pub. <laughs> I, I had my wedding reception in the original, which is The Eagle on Carrington yes. Road, the very first, 1992. Got it to open for the first time on a Saturday. Ate better than any wedding I have uh, been to before or since. And also, I'm, I don't like old-style pubs. They make me feel very uncomfortable and edgy. I don't know, I feel... Maybe it's just me.
1: I feel quite happy in any environment. I mean, I quite enjoy things like working men's clubs, even, you know, which can be quite intimidating to a sort of softy southerner sometimes, I think. But I like, I like that.
0: Um, Are we having starters? Yeah. And right. I, I know you've said in the past that you find lengthy menus somewhat irritating. Yeah, it's
1: not too bad here. It's a, it's a fairly good balance. I mean, I think it's maybe two items too long on each well would me. you like
0: me to put a line through a couple of things for you <laughs> <and just> definitely <laughs> yeah <laughs> if i just actually re- re- reduce the length of the menu for you yeah good um yeah you don't want the baked camembert that's ridiculous no that's a bit it? and yeah. you don't want the uh, the full rib of beef no no and you're not going for the roast aubergine anyway so that's simple yeah. all the tomatoes bitter leaves and ricotta so you know there you go that's <laughs> i've wiped out four things from the menu for you yeah. with a red pen Okay. I hope the draper's arms forgives me for putting the red ink through. If you could then sign it, and then... They <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to
1: have the cod, and I'm going to have... I don't know if that's a good choice, Jay. I'm expecting you to sort of uh, go uh, just, Is that all right? I'm not think? reviewing.
0: All right. I'm just feeding I feel you.
1: fish, anyway, that's what I feel. OK. Fish and I'll have... I'll have uh, let's go, man, let's have duck hearts.
0: That sounds like something... OK, that was one of mine, so I'll have the corned beef, and then I'll have the suet crust beef pie, and a kind of parody of... Pub Working food. men pubs food. Can Would you like any sides? get a side of the savoy cabbage. You're having double beef. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not reviewing. They can't judge me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just having what I want. For me, the focus. essence of cooking is contrast. So. <laughs> is it? Yeah. Well, no, you're an artist, mate. So, that's... <laughs> <laughs> when, you, when you were a kid in Essex, was food a thing? I mean, what was... What kind of a cook was your mum? I would say my mum was sort of a regulation, working-class
1: cook. You know, she could do most things. She could bake a nice cake, she could do the Sunday roast. Not, you know, not adventurous at all. You know, it would be sausages and maybe cod in parsley sauce on a Friday. From one of those
0: boil-in-the-bag no, things? it would, all be, do it it the would self- all be homemade, yeah, yeah. It wouldn't be boil-in-the-bag, now You've talked in the past about the fact that your dad walked out when you were four, and then this terrifying stepfather figure appears. Yeah. So all these sort of interviews with you about, about that bit of childhood, quite reasonably looks at it from your perspective. Was your mum happy, or was it just a horrible, abusive relationship? That's a really good question. I was never quite sure.
1: I think their relationship sometimes was sort of like... I mean, my wife sort of described my mother as a sort of hysterical narcissist... Was, uh, is your mum still
0: alive or is she No, no, gone? she died about three or four years ago, I think. All right, so Philippa, Philippa Perry, your wife yes. of this parish. Best-selling author, as we call her. Yes. Um, um, she psychotherapist. Just, she sort of diagnosed her sort of unofficially
1: as a hysterical narcissist in that she... Everything was about my mother. Everything, you know, whatever you did, it was somehow aimed at her. So if you if you did something, it was in and it made her feel bad. You'd done it deliberately because you were thinking of her.
0: Even if you were completely doing the exact opposite, yeah. Specifically trying to neglect and her. And of course,
1: she was hysterical in that she wanted everything to be a drama. Oh really? Yeah. And so that's annoying. So everything became a drama, you know, and and very a lot of shouting, a lot of aggression. Um, you know, the smallest thing would blow up into a massive argument, and. Uh, if it was with us children, then she was... I sometimes described her as, like, the kind of... ..the spotter for the artillery or whatever. You know, she'd call in the heavy weaponry, i.e. my stepfather, to sort of... If it got to, to a serious infringement in some way.
0: Grayson? How many Graysons are there in the world? More now. People are, are naming their children after me. <laughs> yeah, no, they are.
1: I get, every so often I get a little email or a, or a letter or some... This is little Grayson,
0: we just want you to know... She's very happy held, with that name. I was at a
1: book signing in, um, where was it, Walthamstow, and
0: this woman sort of thrust her baby into my arm and said, oh, this is Grayson, he's named after you or something like that. Where did your parents in 1960 60. come up with the name Grayson? I mean, Larry hadn't even broken through at that point. No. In any case, it would have been his surname. Um, for Grayson anybody? came from... My mother was pregnant, and
1: she was on holiday in Cornwall, and I think... The story was that the son of the hotel or the B&B was called Grayson, and he was really nice, and he showed him about, and you know, helped him a lot. And then she liked the name, and so sounds American to me. It does. A bit. I think there's more American. I mean, there's a Grayson Perry. He's he's about he must be about sixteen by now, who's got a lot of Twitter followers. <laughs> and every time I have a little sort of spike, because I do a, a TV show or something, he gets and he has to sort of say, "No, I'm not that Grayson Perry." But quite You're cool. like John Lewis, the
0: guy over yeah, yeah. in um, the states who gets all the. the, the yeah. but I love crazy. it. He's like South
1: Carolina somewhere, and he's like you know very Christian, straight, society, and you know he gets all this sort of stuff about the, the cross-dressing <laughs>
0: artist. <laughs> um, this difficult childhood. You were brilliant at school, and then you weren't brilliant at school. Was there any resistance to you going off to art college? I think my mother was fairly apathetic by that time, really. Oh, she she given up? You know, we'd been, been
1: through so many disruptions and, and things by the time I got to deciding to go to art school that... I remember her saying, ''Oh, it's not really a proper job, is it?'' You know, and it's a, a, an element of disappointment. But by that point, I was, a ve- you know, an angry adolescent. You know, I was a, a, I was a rural punk.
0: Were you? Mm. Those were always the scariest kind because they actually had something to be cross about. If you came from north-west London... I remember London, sitting I had in my bedroom, be
1: ripping about. off the sleeves of a school shirt and stenciling the word hate all over it. In what colour? Well, it was a gray school shirt and I just got some white sort of like emulsion and just made a stencil up just saying and it said hate. And you, must it it. you must I have been livid. I was absolutely
0: incandescent inside. <laughs> <laughs> what were you listening to? I mean, did oh, you, did you get into the music? I didn't as well? have a stereo. So you were a punk without a soundtrack?
1: I mean, I. yeah. I did, my first stereo I didn't get until I was well into art college, and I got a Walkman. And that was the first stereo I ever
0: owned. Our starters are here. So we have the
1: pots and corned beef.
0: Thank you. Thank you. So you've got your duck hearts, which is actually a salad. Yeah, that's good, that's good by me. Is it? And yep. um, what's hilarious about mine, you know, the whole conversation we've had about middle-classness and pubs and pub grub, I ordered corned beef, which is meant to be working man's food, but it's been fancied up, hasn't it? There's it's still quite slabby, though, isn't it? It's still kind of like, oh. you've got meat, and what are those things?
1: They're capers, are Caper they? Caper berries, They're yeah. Capers, yeah, and mm. gherkins. So, yeah, it's a little bit. You've got sourdough toast there, which is, the, you know, the, the signature. Is that sourdough toast?
0: I, I, I believe it's illegal to <laughs> serve anything, any bread object that is not sourdough. Yeah, it's quite hard, I would imagine, to be a self-defined transvestite punk, because the layers of clothing are already quite interesting and diverse. Or was the it tran- separate? The, the transvestite thing was well buried then. Was it well buried? How old were you when you first tried on your sister's ballet outfit?
1: Oh,
0: I reckon 12 or 13. Right. Yeah. Did, was art college somewhere where you could meet people and go, actually, I'm, an, I'm now allowed to take pleasure in this?
1: I don't know about taking pleasure, but it was, it was certainly a,
0: a space where I feel I could talk about it. I mean, I told my... How many days into your course did you first say, my name name's Grayson, I'm, I'm doing an art oh course? Oh, God, and, quite and a way in, I'd have thought...
1: I mean, I told my first girlfriend at um, at, uh, at foundation course I was a transvestite, and she thought, "Oh, I knew there was something about you." She said, "I don't know what that
0: meant." And then, did she think that was interesting, or was she uncertain? Well, she clearly I stayed. She your... was pretty cool with it, really. She was very posh. But I can remember it on
1: on my uh, degree course. You know, I remember telling my girlfriend at the time in bed. I think she was very influential on me, Jennifer, because her and her sister they had. ..a kind of very strange sense, overdeveloped sense of irony, almost, I think. So they were kind of like... You were never quite sure if they were laughing at you or the fact that they were laughing at
0: laughing at you. It was all performative. It was all... There was,
1: I just never quite got it. Yeah, they they, they had, like... It, 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 they were very influential on me. In terms, I can remember her sister. We, we were sitting in a pub. We were in 79, 80, I suppose. And I said, oh, let's see what's on the jukebox. We went over and they were like, oh, Abba, great, Abba. Like, and it was like she was sort of ironizing
0: Abba, but Abba was still going at that point, you know. <laughs> well ahead of her time, really. Yeah, exactly. We didn't ironize Abba until about 89. Yeah, mean...
1: exactly. And she was really ahead of it. You know, she was very much part of the kind of blitz kid, new romantic scene in London, you know, very much part of that. And so that taught me a
0: lot about... How to laugh at the cool people? Are you not now one of the cool people yourself? Well, I am, but you never say it. It's like being spiritual or. And oh, no, I'm saying it. Creative. I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm just giving it voice. You know, you're cool. You're quite cool. But it's show not tell, Jay. Show not tell, as in all creative
1: acts. All right, okay. <laughs> you don't tell. You just show. Yeah. The kind of media. Coverage of the transvest—I mean, it was very important to me because I, I, for two or three years, I was a transvestite without realising what there was such a thing. How long ago was that? I mean, at what age were you? From when? twelve to sort of fourteen. You didn't I- have a word. No, it was or, just or a th- knowledge of anybody else. No, absolutely not. I mean, I was absolutely shocked when you know I think it was the, the, the Sunday People ran an article on on cross dressers, and there was I think there was April Ashley was featured, who was one of the first transgender people, you know, transsexuals in. British society, well known in British society, and um, I was like, oh, I must be one of them, okay.
0: But you embrace all of that, as in, you know, yeah, I'm a man in a dress, and I like it. Yeah,
1: it turns me on.
0: Right. I mean, there there was a a specific point that sometimes I'm I'm really intrigued by. You hinted at it on Desert Island Discs, which is the appeal of shame and humiliation. Yeah, I think it's a massive market.
1: Of course, you know, it depends on the emotional environment you grow up in. Yeah. You know, and if if cross-dressing becomes an okay thing for anyone to do, then the the shame thing will dissipate and go away. But, you know, in my ear, our sexuality is formed in our childhood, and so therefore what turns us on is very linked and interwoven
0: into the social environment we grew up in. You're not trying to pass, though. You're actively not trying to pass. Not now. Um, oh, was there a time when you were? Oh, heavens, yeah. Oh, right, that's something I've misunderstood. So, so Claire now strikes me as a, a parody of femininity.
1: Parody is a sort of harsh word, I think. Yeah. If you look at kind of drag acts, I think you can, you can say often with, with um, drag acts that they're a parody. But um, I think mine sometimes is maybe a more, it's a sort of celebration. Of the, the the the
0: sartorial choices that are not open to men, but there was a time when, rather than going full bow peep, you were attempting to be. Until I was about
1: in my late thirties, even yeah, you know, I think about when I was forty, I think was when I swapped. What changed? Well, therapy. Psychotherapy. You didn't do that at home, I assume? No, of course not. It wouldn't couldn't... be ethical for my wife to be my therapist. She would obviously no. push her own agenda onto me. You think?
0: <laughs> obviously, I make a better husband in now anyway. But <laughs> so, psychotherapy, what, you've described that as um, tidying up the, the tool shed.
1: Yeah, I think that, that's the description I give it to kind of allay the fears of the creative people who think that they're quirks and screw-ups are their creativity and I want to go mate there's just as many bad artists who've got mental health issues as there are good artists what? you know as the general population
0: so you go through you go through the therapy and that what does that make you feel you have a license to be exactly the version you want it to be I
1: oh, well, it's just it, therapy's really interesting because it works on so many levels you know it's existential so you sort of see your life ticking away and you think what's the meaning of your life who am I what do I want They're big questions and so you kind of it sort of focuses you on thinking who are you you know who are you what do you want and i and I, and I just realized that that when I used to go to transvestite gatherings, there'd always be older, more confident transvestites there who didn't give a shit. And I always used to aspire to be them. They were happy to embrace the fact that people took the piss out of them and they just walked down the street... And, and but you it. found
0: that uncomfortable? Well, well I was... Yeah, I was. I, wife st- wife, I,
1: I, I still had, you know, nerves about it. And, but then I just thought, I've got to embrace it. See, bravery is an interesting thing, you know, it's, a, it's something that's not often talked about in, in the creative field, but you've got to, you know, steel yourself and do it, and, and then it becomes normal, and that's, you know, whatever we do, you know, going on stage or whatever it is you do, it becomes normal, so then you want to... I'm, a, I'm completely addicted to adrenaline, and so I'm always looking for the next thing that's going to scare the shit out of me.
0: Hence, you're now a stage performer as well.
1: Yeah. And that is now a passion of mine, and I intend to push that.
0: Well, I'm going to take some responsibility for it.
1: Yeah, we'll come yes, to. You can. <laughs> we'll, we'll come to that in a minute. The motivation for things is. I'm always interested. I think that I'm I'm always interested in how people downplay or are afraid to. It's like, oh, I'm not like that. No, it's not sexual. Like that was. Like, there was. You know, of course, it's, it's sexual. not. If there's not any. If it's not hurting anybody else and, you're, and it's consensual, then it's fine, mate, you can do what you want. But I think a lot of people around sort of various social things, they, they, they want to kind of desexualize it because they want to be accepted by society. So if they thought that they were, they were doing something that was
0: seen as kinky or perverted, oh, I just do this because I like dressing up. You know, it's like, ball lurks. But if you're doing something which <laughs> others would see as perverse... The last thing you want is it to be normalised, because if it's normalised, it's not kinky well, that's anymore. The ten-
1: that's the tension. I mean, I've had gay people say to me, "Yeah, gay marriage, great, you know," but it does make us a bit straight now.
0: <laughs> so, why did you go into therapy then? mean well, nothing to be with, do to do with being a transvestite. What, just to be with uh, coming from a ridiculously kind of baroque childhood in Essex? Yeah, much more to do with that transvestism was so not the headline how long were you in therapy for about six years so for six years you got to talk about yourself that's just what it's for me <laughs> no i have to say i've always thought it was a tra- as a man who loves discussing himself yeah you really should get there it might it might cure you of it
1: <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to be cured <laughs> what of narcissism
0: I sat next to a psychotherapist at some event, probably someone Philip Knope, and I did describe myself as a narcissist, yeah. and she said, "Do you get a sexual thrill out of thinking about yourself?" And I said, "No, I don't." And she said, "Then you're not a narcissist." I think I she would was... say she's wrong. A narcissist is someone like my mother
1: who thinks everything is about them, and kind of somehow, you know, man- it's degrees of it. Obviously, you're not as bad as my mother. Thanks. <laughs> but, you know, you tend to make things about yourself. Or, oh, you know, and I do it myself. I'm a bit of a narcissist, so I, sort of, I t- tend to sort of project my in- emotional interpretation of any situation onto the other thing, and you know, imagine that other people have the same motivations as I do, which is bollocks. It's Come nice, this duck salad. It's nice. Do you hold with offal then? Oh, fine. Yeah, you have got to eat it all, mate.
0: It's green, isn't it? If you're going to eat it, eat it all. Well, it's literally green because there's a big butch watercress salad there and a, a few duck carts knocking around, and I love the idea of duck carts. They're good and solid and, and chewy. Well done? Yes, thank you very much. Do you want another pint, by the way? No. No?
1: No, because two will push me into the zone where I can't, won't get anything done this afternoon. Are the pots
0: out? I and mean, no. We've been following it on Twitter. It's, you
1: know oh, That part's done now, yes. It's, it's cooling in the kiln. It is, it, it, it's, it's, if nothing's gone disastrously wrong,
0: it is, it is all for all things finished. So that is fine. Didn't you just put out an audio of them crackling as they came out, or were you just talking about them crackling? I was talking about them crackling, because when you know, they're
1: cooling and the, the glaze... Because I, I use a glaze that doesn't fit very well, so it tends to crackle. Which is part of the effect you want. Not always, because it can get in the way of certain things. You know, it, it, yeah, sometimes it's lovely, that like under a lustre, particularly the mother of pearl lustre, it gives it a kind of faceted opalescence, which is beautiful. Mm.
0: Ceram- I'm not sure if I'm allowed to call it ceramics, pottery. How did it happen?
1: Christine, my girlfriend's sister, went, you know, she was a trained potter. She was going to evening classes to keep her hand in, and she said, oh, come along. You know, it's practically free if you're on the doll. At the time, evening classes were one pound a term if you were on Madol, which is a great thing. So I went along. You literally weighed your... Your stuff you'd made at at the end, no, at the end. Oh, the end? At the end, yeah, you would weigh the work and then they would charge you, I can't remember what it was, like 50p a pound or something. My first pottery teacher, I only found out recently, she almost lost a job because of me. I was doing quite sort of I was you know I was an angry young artist just so I thought how can I wind up you know how can I be as naughty as possible, so I was doing a lot of work with very sexual images of all sorts of things. I was using a lot of swastikas on my work really kind of like trying you know being the punk, mm. and other people in the class I didn't realise were getting upset by this. And they. they well, there's, that,
0: there's some bloke in the corner who keeps putting swastikas on the pot. We've got and, a Nazi in the room. And, and they, they, they made a delegation
1: to the head of the college to get me removed. But the, my pottery teacher said, no, you know, keep him. He, he comes every week and he's a diligent worker. And,
0: and we she could, kept me in. Were there a lot of fallacies? Or would Ooh. that have, oh, Yeah. Everything
1: that I thought would be, you know, that you wouldn't normally see on a pot, I would put on a pot. And so right from the start, I'm doing a show next year of my early work in in Bath. It's been fascinating to look at because a lot of it I never photographed. You know, I sold it for pocket money prices and it's lovely to see it again. And it's all there. All me is still there
0: already. You were pretty much fully formed in those original pots. Yeah, totally. Which you sold for 30, 40 quid a pot. Yeah. Have they increased in value to, to the market? So if you've got an early Grayson. Yeah, you've made a good deal on it you know you could probably buy a very decent car at least with a, with, the, with the price of that pot you've said that ceramics pottery is you know craft is a little bit like the pretentious neighbor who wants to be invited to the party yeah so is that part of the appeal I, I, the, the more I listen to you talk about these things the more I think part of the appeal your eyebrow has just gone up where, where am I going is the awkwardness yeah,
1: I used to call myself, you know, the, the awkward squad. It's why I used to love um, the fall, Marky e. Smith. Yeah, because it was, you know, he was chairman of the awkward squad. You know, he would always try and to never kind of give in to the audience needs, sort of thing.
0: A, a, a quick sideline. Um, you, we, when we had dinner before, I think you mentioned my sideline as a jazz. Pianist, and he said, "Our oh, last thing I want to do is listen to people re- uh, rehearsing." Rehearse. Yeah, and then, and, and then, but I don't think that's the point at all. Because if you're more than happy listening to Marquis e. Smith and the Fall, most <laughs> of the output, basically, it's jazz. It, 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 <laughs> well, actually, it's bloody close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you just were a bit suspicious of the middle-class aesthetic of jazz. Yeah, uh, if you were to
1: personify my my attitude to a lot of culture, it's not necessarily the culture itself that I'm. I have an opinion about. It's the social milieu of that culture that I'm interested in. But I'm fairly. I'm an equal opportunities piss taker. You know, the working classes just have just as many pretensions as the middle classes. So they do, but somehow, pretension seems to have become a, a middle class monopoly.
0: Then, how pretentious are
1: you? Well, you never and know what does do you, that because you're trying to avoid it. A failed ambition. I always think is a good definition.
0: Oh, so you win, huh? You win. If failed ambition is the definition of pretentiousness. As a Turner Prize-winning, internationally renowned, BAFTA-winning, TV star, theatre-filling, you filled the Palladium. Yeah. None of your ambitions have failed, are no, they? No, no, exactly. Oh, you smug bastard. <laughs> <laughs> you know, smugness is a very middle-class thing, isn't it? <laughs> So, no, th- well, you've done it, you self-defined what pretentiousness is and then dodged it brilliantly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> But that's what it is, though, because it, if, if, if it's a failed ambition, then it's sort of like you've been caught out. But you know, if you've redefined the parameters of what is tasteful or good, you know,
0: which all creative people aspire to, to yeah. a certain extent... and want to be taste makers.
1: Yeah, that's, so you're winning, and so therefore you don't have failed ambition because you, know, you, wrestle, the, you wrestle the audience or the, the whatever, the, the culture to, towards you, to a certain
0: extent. Main courses are oh, heading right, our right. way. Right, so we've got the cod and the pie, and I'll be back with the cabbage. Thank you very much. I have to say, um, so I, I ordered the suet crust beef pie. Literally, that was what was on the end menu. Yeah. There's nothing su- else there. And there's a big <laughs> issue, and I, I, I'm curious to see whether you could even be bothered to engage with this, which is pie purists would say that a pie has to have pastry all the way around um, and not just have a lid over a what is essentially yeah, a casserole pot. Yeah,
1: I'm with the former. It has really? to have
0: pastry all around, yeah. Really, I like it. I
1: like it sat there on the plate. I can get crap right through it and get a great big gob full of it.
0: Some Cabbage. Thank you. Mustard is oh, a brilliant thing. Thank you. No Would you go so far as to say that the full pastry shell is a more authentic working-class pie? Well, I'm sure you know more about the history of food than me, Jay. But, um, but it's not a
1: bad. In my, it, but in my, you know, my a pie is something that you could hold in your hand, practically, you know. It feels like it should be something that uh, you could put in your knapsack when you're working in the fields. Whereas that, what you've got in front of you now, is a stew with a bit of pastry laid on the top of it.
0: Yeah, I'm very... It smells very good. Yeah, I'm
1: sure it'll be tasty, but it's so fiddly eating out of a dish. Is it? Yeah, I find it all that kind of weird angle. I just want to
0: cut it and have a proper... Your wrist to the ceiling, perfectly. So, um... Have you got any ambitions you haven't realised? Oh, totally. Yeah, always. God, you pretentious swine. Um, so, well, yeah, you know, I queue them up and don't and
1: don't always talk about them on podcasts because then uh, people can spot when I failed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'll be absolutely honest. Given all your successes, I think that's the least you owe us. Oh, well, I want to have a big show in the states. Has that not happened?
1: No. All right. I've never had a, a really big exhibition in the states.
0: By big that has to be LA or New York. New York, yeah. Yeah. Do you can you see any reason why that has hasn't happened? Because I presumably you've got collectors in the States. Yeah.
1: I don't know, you know, maybe um, I don't know. You know, it, it, you know. I hope that it'll happen. I'm plugging for it.
0: I'm thinking of an institutional Right. Oh, you want you want Museum, Museum of Modern Art, you want Yeah, of
1: course you do, that's what you want. If you're in a contemporary art world, you want, you know,
0: you want to play the, uh, the big venues. But is it mildly helpful to your sense of outsiderness?
1: You know, I can't pretend to be an outsider anymore, really. But I can play with being a member of the establishment. I enjoy that, you know. I, I enjoy the tension of rebelling against the rebels. Because everyone's a fucking bohemian now, aren't they? <sighs> You know, it's like, you know... That's it's just a hell carving out a niche, isn't it? It's very difficult to find your voice now. I, think it's hard. I mean, I really don't envy young artists now in that, you know, the, you, any creative person in any field has to find their voice. And that, make, that you know, that takes a long time. But now, you know, it's so crowded and the noise around it, it
0: from the internet is so loud. So do you think when you kicked off um, with your pots, had you taken a position which did manage to position you as something other?
1: I mean, I rose without trace, as they say, you know. I was the artist's artist. I didn't make a living from my art Mm. until I was 38. Seriously,
0: yeah. So, what were you making? How were you making a living before that?
1: Well, I was either on the dole when I was in my twenties, yeah, or I was. My wife supported me in my thirties. So, when the Turner Prize came along, I was sort of ready to really milk it and enjoy it. You know, I remember saying to the PR man because a lot of artists are quite sort of shy of PR, like it. You know, it was it was it was somehow unartistic to be interested in publicity, and I and I just said to the PR man that the take fucking strap me on and fire the engine, mate. I'm ready. You know, go.
0: I milked it. Well, you did. The famous line, it was about time a transvestite Potter won the Turner Prize. Yeah. Which kind of defined you. The yeah. next morning, your picture was on the front of literally every national newspaper. It was, it was fun. It was huge fun, you know. And, and it
1: was lovely that, you know, even, say, The Sun gave me quite positive press. Because I think I wrong-footed them by, you know, pervert artist... Oh, he's quite nice. Oh, he's got a happy family. Oh, what are we going to do with this? I think the person who did me the biggest favour was one of the photographers at the ceremony. As all the flashbulbs were going off after Peter Blake announced my win, he ushered my daughter and my wife into the frame. And that was the picture that did it, because there was a a tension there. You know, I wasn't this isolated, outsider-ish... I was a normal member of society with a child and a wife, and we were happy.
0: That it strikes me as the thing that people don't, again, don't understand about the frocks, um, which is that it's an emphasis of masculinity, not the opposite. Well, by the difference, it makes you look. You, you know, in some ways, you never look more
1: macho than when you put, try on a dress because it emphasises all those subtle things that you're not aware of about being. So it makes you very aware of the subtle things about the differences between men and women. You know, in terms of like the proportion of your bodies and the way you move and the way you, you know, just the kind of general kind of um, non-verbal vocabulary that you have.
0: For you, it's a, 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 an almost a statement of heterosexuality, isn't
1: it? Um.
0: Or, or is that overreading and It's just you like putting on a dress.
1: I've never, you know, I, I've, I've never been... I've never thought of my... You know, I, I, I've experimented enough in my youth to know I'm not gay.
0: I <laughs> <laughs> put it like that. It's always handy to know one way or the other, isn't it?
1: Oh, yeah, totes. I mean, have a go at everything. It's my, you know, my advice, to sing And if you don't like it, then you just don't do it again.
0: How's your cod, by the way? Right, that's all good, yeah, it's a good job. So there's uh, cod there, there's some artichoke and... Fennel, is it? No, that's the after Oh, that's the... Is that the after Yeah, right. there's some fennel knocking around. Yeah. I can right- recognise food foodstuffs, even after cooking. Mm. I want to talk to you about the live shows, but there is a, a particular point which ties in with this. I was at the very first one, I think you did, a brasserie Zadell, which was a closed-room job. Do you remember this? Yeah, I wouldn't
1: say it's my... Because I kind of, like most things I've done... Yeah. ..I learn on the job.
0: That's absolutely true, yeah.
1: So, you know... My entire career is learning on the job, so I I kind of ease my way into things, really, and have a go, and, and, and but don't... So my pottery, and you know, I was selling stuff straight from evening classes. The TV, I kind of stumbled
0: into, in a way. And the live shows came out of me lecturing, really. So you were already lecturing. There was, there was a particular point when... We, we share an agent, our shared agent, said, yeah. uh, would I talk to you about using audiovisual stuff for live... Shows, yeah, and it you? was
1: very useful because, you know, you you, you you showed me your show and, and it was that sort of... I'm, I'm always interested in you know, that that was my first step into theatricality, you know. Now I'm going to push that. I'm not going to talk about that because I want it to be a lovely surprise. Because, <laughs> you know, the, if you're going to do a t- coup de theatre or whatever they call it, you know, it's, it's got to be a surprise. So I'm working
0: on stuff now for next year. I'm already... So the, the first one, you did this thing at, at Bradbury's Adele, there was a particular point in it which drove me nuts, and I wanted to put my hand up and ask you a question, I never did, so I'm going to ask it now. Right. OK, so you were talking on that one, which was about masculinity. Yeah. About men not feeling comfortable with the feminine and within them, and one of the things you did to illustrate them was you flashed up a picture of all the lads from Top Gear... You can see where this is going. I you can have, see, yeah, you yeah. You've pointed this. The banter shirt. The banter <laughs> shirt, um, and you pointed across. Uh, you just pointed at me because I'm wearing a very floral shirt today. It's not no. on by accident, because <laughs> it's, it's, it's absolutely not on. Because if there's one thing I can do, it's bear a grunt. Hang on, I, I've got my reply. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Grayson, you can't get that. Get away with that. So you you point out the, these flowery shirts and it's almost like. Oh, they're just taking the piss about femininity. They're not really engaging with it. They're just thinking by putting on a flowery shirt, they've yeah. engaged it. And I wear a lot of...
1: lowest fr- common
0: denominator, femininity. All oh, right, I wear a lot of flowery shirts. And I thought to myself, and the thought that came to my head was, hang on, mine is an affectation, and I'm being told by th- this by a man in a dress, yeah. and it's OK for him to wear the dress because it's a compulsion. Yes, me. you've got to go the whole hog. It's like smoking kind of
1: low-tar cigarettes when you're in the company of heroin addicts, you know.
0: <laughs> I think the fart was a more compelling answer. The, uh, <laughs> do you not see my point, though? I mean, I, I wear these because I think they look nice. Beauty is the thing you've yeah, talked Yeah, but about. I've noticed that the kind of... The, it's often
1: a kind of camouflage for kind of low-grade sexism. The flowery shirt. What do you think of me? I mean, do you think that's me? I said often, not I'm not you know, necessarily accusing you, Jay. I'm sure you're absolutely punctilious about your political correctness at every <laughs> level. Like we all have to fucking be these days. Oh, yeah, right. You're not allowed to step one
0: toenail over the edge of it, and you're like, not, Jay. Hey! Look, I'm, I, so I'm, I, the thing is, I've got a fucking wardrobe of floral shirts. So that every time I look at them, I'm sitting there thinking, the car needs cleaning, and I haven't got any rags. Grayson had me, I've been pulled up (laughs) on my engagement with my feminine. And, you know, is there any circumstances in which a man, dressing as a man, can put on a floral shirt and get away with it, or is it always cover for something else?
1: No, it's just my... Asking for a friend. It's just my bitchy kind of, like... uh, But with a strong dose of truth. You know, know, when you see people on the panel shows, you know, like Mock the Week... Quite often, like, four out of six of the contestants will have floral shirts on. And yet, you know, they're very blokey. It's kind of like, I'm not a member of the patriarchy.
0: Because I've got a floral shirt on. But I've still
1: got a shirt with a collar on. You know, it's not a blouse. Oh, no, where am I going? A woman? No! That would be like wearing a blouse, wouldn't it? I've got a shirt with a collar, I could wear a jacket with it if I wanted. I could pop into the, you know, it's, it's like one fingernail outside of masculinity.
0: But you're always going to win on that, aren't you? Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> because I've ventured as far as you could go, pretty much, I think, in terms of, can you manage to walk in this outfit?
0: <laughs> yeah, but you, I mean, you've got an advantage, which is that for you... There is, a, there, there is a sexual tension and thrill out of it. I don't get off on one Yeah, I'm, I'm motivated to go there. Yeah, you're motivated to go there, whereas... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I could come out of there going, I need to compete with Grayson Perry. You need it's to compete It's off to transformation. If I am to say one King's thing trust.
1: about Jay Rayner, he's competitive.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, no, of course I am. <laughs> of course I am. I'm, I'm living in fear of pretentiousness through unrealised ambitions... And I love these floral shirts, and now I, it, it undermined me terribly. It's
1: good that you admit it, though. That's the first step to...
0: <laughs> it's growing. Is it? <laughs> Next time round, you and me, I'm, I'm I'm calling up St Martin saying, can you do one of the Claire's in a size 20? Yeah, but you could do it. I can see you shave, obviously. but um, Really? You could do it, Yeah. Oh come on! I thought we got to a
1: point where you could have a no. It's, I think it's a bit cheesy. I can never deal with the, the, the makeup. I mean, it's fine in the drag scene, blah blah, blah but makeup and be. I'm a gender rigid
0: around that one. Really, you yeah. can't do the bit. Okay, fine. Well, at least I know where the red lines are. Yeah. Uh, but I've got to be absolutely sure on that. We have dessert menus to look at. Okay. And uh, maybe some coffee if you like. I'll definitely have a coffee I'll definitely, yes just a black coffee please sure. oh, I'm going to get one of them because this is called Out to Lunch we have to go out to lunch yes. and get two spoons so if I got the walnut cake the sour cherry or the rhubarb semifredo which one of those would... the rhubarb the rhubarb semifredo and two spoons please has all of that the frocks the, the so the, I, I kept referring to is that outfit eclair because there is a competition at St Martin's isn't there now to make yes. outfits for you and the winners get an award which is called eclair yes is that right Yeah. You bristle at the idea of alter ego, but is it reasonable to suggest that it's also part of your art?
1: Well, it bleeds in. If you're an artist, you know, it bleeds into everything I do. It bleeds into my cycling, it bleeds into my motorcycling, it bleeds into my every aspect, my broadcasting, everything. So I can't not do it without having a little fiddle... Artistic fiddle with it, right? Know?
0: And so, so, it has to be. So Claire apartment.
1: went from kind of a housewife to an artistic creation to a certain extent. Yeah,
0: I'm quite liking. I don't know if she's been around for a while, but there's a. It seems to be a version of Claire which is uh, New York socialite behind uh, hubcap glasses.
1: Oh yes, that is very much my New York socialite look. Yeah. Is, is she new, or is she, has she been around for a while? She's been an aspiration, but I, I just took the effort to get the wig made. It was a wig. Like, yeah, I've got a big sort of bouffant wig. It's grand dame, you know, I quite like it. And I'm getting older. So do you think you, Claire needs to get older? Yeah, when, when I had the wig made, I said I wanted my hair colour, but with more grey,
0: just a bit more grey. I'd say the semifredo's turned up, so this is... Clearly... It does look a bit like the corned beef. It does, it's a, it's a, it's a block, there's a bit of granola... Yeah, some meringue. you probably want a little bit of crunch there, though. Yeah, I think you do. Your mum only, as you said, died three or four years ago. Had she um, made a full accommodation with who you were? No, not at all. I never really spoke to her much towards the end, of it Did she acknowledge your success? I don't know. Really? No.
1: I think, you know, It's I, I have an extreme version of it, but... A lot of people from working-class backgrounds, you know, who've gone on to have their careers in, you know, the arts or academia or somewhere, you know, one of the sort of difficulties is, is their parents aren't always equipped to appreciate their success. Don't know how to deal with it. Well, they haven't got the, fr- the frames of reference, the parameters, you know. They don't understand that to do that is a great achievement. It's very difficult. They just think, I don't really understand it. You know, what's that about?
0: Even the financial side.
1: Yeah, they—they understand the financial side. And if you pick up a gong on telly,
0: yeah. From what you say of your stepfather, I'm kind of imagining he went quite a few years before. Or was no, he's still there. He survived. Is he still alive? Yeah, I haven't spoken to him for like 20 years though. So I haven't
1: even seen him for 20 years at least.
0: Does he still figure in your um, psychic armoury? Is he part of the tool? One of the tools tidied away in the toolbox by psychotherapy? That's a very long pause. Your
1: issues are always your issues, aren't they, Jay? You know? So you kind of carry them and you know you become more aware of them and you can dampen them down, but occasionally they, they flash
0: up. That's useful, isn't it? I dunno. Well if they're not disabling, that, I mean so what what I thought was interesting about your the way you described therapy for you tidying up the, the, the you know, the tool shed so you know where they all are yeah. was that it stopped them being disabling necessarily. Yeah, but also you throw away the rubbish.
1: You throw away the things that are in the way of you seeing the tools, so all the crap is thrown away, the things that aren't working for you, all those habits that you've got into because of dysfunction, that's all thrown away, and you keep all the good bits. And some of the good bits might well be shaped by the dysfunction, but they work, so you keep them. So are you now totally functional?
0: Nobody's perfect, mate. (laughs) Well, thank you for allowing me to take you out to lunch. It's been a hoot. It's been rather good, hasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't finish the pie, which is now bothering me. But, you know, you don't even think it was a pie, so. I think that's symbolic. Do you think it's symbolic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking the, the artists, they think everything's symbolic. The half finished gastropub pie. <laughs> <laughs> Are you hungry now? I suspect you are. Please rate and review Out to Lunch to help others find us. I love being reviewed by people, I really do. Um, Do also subscribe and that way you won't miss a single episode. They will appear wherever you get your podcasts. Out to Lunch is a Something Else and Jay Rayner production and was brought to you by these fabulous people. Josh Gibbs, Hester Kant, Selena Reem, Robert Abel, Darby Doris and Steve Ackerman. The music was written, arranged and performed by me, Jay Rayner and Robert Rickenberg. Next time, it's River Song herself, the great actress, Alex Kingston. I can tell you this, Coca-Cola really cleans your toilet bowl. Does it? Yes. Now you amazing. have to understand, that's why I do this podcast. It's for tips like that. Yeah.